But we, as we all know, God has called all of us to serve. Uh, we are called to be servant leaders. Uh, God has given us a very high calling. We know we are all training to be kings, priests, and judges for tomorrow's world, for the kingdom of God. And we're to, going to be serving billions of people in the millennium and in the white throne judgment. The world desperately needs true Christian leadership. What kind of leadership does the world have now? World's most corrupt nations lack godly leadership, to say the least. Forbes magazine gave this report. Quote, according to Transparency International, more than 6 billion of the 7.5 billion, I interject, more than 6 billion live in countries that are seriously affected by corruption. More than 6 billion live in countries that are seriously affected by corruption. What kind of leaders are leading those countries? The world desperately needs godly leaders. At the end of uh, World War One, and later on, Winston Churchill gave a motivational speech to young people. This is excerpted from his book, My Early Life in 1930. Winston Churchill writes, Come on now, all you young men all over the world. You are needed more than ever now to fill the gap of a generation shorn by the war. You have not an hour to lose. You must take your places in life's fighting line. Twenty to twenty-five, these are the years. Don't be content with things as they are. The earth is yours of the fullness thereof. Enter upon your inheritance. Accept your responsibilities. Raise the glorious flags again. Advance them upon the new enemies who constantly gather upon the front of the human army and have only to be assaulted to be overthrown. Don't take no for an answer. Never submit to failure. Do not be fobbed off with mere personal success or acceptance. You will make all kinds of mistakes, but as long as you are generous and true and also fierce, you cannot hurt the world or even seriously distress her. She was made to be wooed and won by youth. She has lived and thrived only by repeated subjugations. So will we accept the challenge, all of us, to accept our calling to train effectively as kings, priests, and judges for God's kingdom? He's called us all to serve. But who is the greatest servant? Turn into your Bibles to uh, Matthew, the 20th chapter. Who are the greatest servants and who is the greatest servant? Matthew 20 and starting with verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Then Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. That was quite a commitment for them. They did, did they really know what they were saying? Did they know what the commitment uh, meant? And when the ten heard it, but he said, 
but it is to sit on my right hand and on my left. It is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Yes, we have these corrupt nations. And you can go on the Internet and you can get the list of the ten most corrupt nations. Six billion people live in nations that are seriously corrupted. The Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. Whoever desires to become great... Who is the greatest servant? Among you shall let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, who is the greatest servant? Let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ set the example of service. But he also said that his father was greater than he. That's John 14, verse 28. won't turn there. might turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and see this awesome milestone in the plan of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23, talking about the resurrections. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Throughout the millennium and the white throne judgment, we will be assisting Christ in fulfilling God's plan and bringing billions of people into the royal family of God. And then Christ gives that awesome present to God the Father. So who is greatest of all? Who serves the most? God the Father is the greatest servant in the universe. On the way over here, uh, my wife and I were listening to a World Tomorrow program by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And throughout the program, many times he said, you know, from Genesis to Revelation... God is the ruler. He rules supreme. He is the supreme ruler. And he must have mentioned that four or five times uh, in the time we were listening to the telecast. That's one of the greatest realities, that God rules supreme. We'll be talking about that later on. So God is the greatest servant of all. He rules supreme, and, of course, we have to follow the example of Jesus Christ who set the example of leadership. We won't turn there, but John 13, when we had the foot washing ceremony, and Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. Again, who is great? Matthew 23, verse 11. He who is greatest among you shall be your servants. God has called all of us to be effective Christian servants. We are all trained to be kings, priests, and judges, and we'll be learning more about that, of course, in the Feast of Tabernacles.
Dr. Meredith gave us the sevenfold mission statement, and I've shown this to you before, but mission number five is learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. So what is your attitude in dealing with others? Learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealing with others. The title of the sermon today is simply Christian Leadership. We've had several sermons on leadership, but we certainly know that our young people, as Mr. DeSimo mentioned in the announcements, are trying to become effective Christian leaders. Do you think of yourself, even now, as a Christian leader? How can you become a more effective Christian leader? So, let's see, how much time do we have? Well, we'll see how many keys to Christian leadership we can cover, and I'll start with number one. Keys to effective Christian leadership. Number one, dedicate yourself to serve. Dedicate yourself to serve. First Corinthians 16 and verse 15. And we certainly have several, and many of you in the congregation, obviously give that example of a dedication to serving. You serve effectively and uh, you volunteer, and we just really appreciate that. First Corinthians 6, uh, 16, verse 15. The Apostle Paul commends one of the families who were service-oriented. First Corinthians 16 and verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it, it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that you, they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's in the New King James Version. And in the King James Version says, uh, they have addicted themselves uh, to the ministry of the saints. It's what an amazing example that is. You just know that certain people in our congregation and other uh, congregations of God's church are just dedicated to serve others. We follow the example of Christ, of course, in Philippians 2 and verse 5. He set the example. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, that is, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we need to have that attitude of a being a bond servant. And we have here in our local congregation, as mentioned, the announcements. We have various outreach programs. Uh, we have uh, the Second Harvest Food Bank Outreach Project, which will be on Thursday, uh, November 16th. And just uh, last Tuesday night, uh, several of you uh, and some of our children and our youth performed at the Carrington Care Center and uh, gave them a, a, a recreational and entertaining evening. I think there were 16 different uh, uh, programs or uh, musical events uh, pr- prepared for the people who are uh, patients there at Carrington Care Center. 
So we appreciate that outreach and the opportunity to serve others. And, of course, you can still volunteer if you register for the feast. Uh, the registration offers uh, places for volunteering. Uh, we need volunteers at the feast for parking, for ushering, uh, for serving in uh, many different ways. Uh, so if you have not yet uh, volunteered, uh, you can still register on the uh, Feast of Tabernacles registration site uh, for volunteer service. Another, another way of, of serving is our communication and our attitude. You know, the basic ways of uh, communicating graciously with simple words such as, please, thank you, you're welcome, I'm sorry, and how may I help you? I remember going into a department store one time and the sales clerk had a tag uh, on uh, the on her dress saying H M I H Y. How may I help you? I know that's helped me many times because when you have certain circumstances, I know uh, visitors on the ambassador campus when you know, who are you? Uh, you you welcome them and you say how may I help you? We have that attitude of a servant. Always have the attitude of a servant. Number one for effective Christian leadership is dedicate yourself to serve. Number two is exercise initiative. I turn to Ephesians, uh, the second chapter. What is initiative? Initiative is doing what needs to be done without being told to do it. Uh, when we had the summer educational program in uh, Orem, Minnesota, I had, actually I was in Big Sandy, Texas, come to think of it, but I had uh, the classroom was all dis, uh, disarray. The, the, the lights were off, the chairs were all disorganized, it was writing on the blackboard, and it was an object lesson. I said, what needs to be done here? And one student raised his hand, the lights need to be turned on. Okay, you turn the lights on. The blackboard needs to be erased. Okay, you go erase the blackboard. Uh, the chairs need to be put in order. Well, you put the chairs in the order. Well, if someone had initiative, he or she would come before the class and would have taken care of those things and served that way with initiative, doing things that need to be done without being told. Uh, we had a ladies' club, uh, a ladies' night spokesman club here um, last year. And the person speaking the microphone was way off uh, on the side, and someone came up, he was not told to do it, as a servant leader, came up and adjusted the microphone for the speaker. He used initiative. He wasn't told to do it, but he was serving. That's one of the ways of exercising effective Christian leadership. Use initiative. Here in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it's, it's rather more profound, but yet it does talk about what we are told to do in terms of works. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's a beautiful expression. The word workmanship is the Greek poema, uh, meaning an artful creation. We are his artful creation. We are his workmanship. But we're created for what? For good works, which God prepared for them, 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, we should live in them, and we should practice them. Uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong and uh, Dr. Herman Hay were noted for a reputation of walking around the campus at Ambassador College in Pasadena. Uh, if there was a scrap of paper uh, on the lawn or something, they would, he, Mr. Armstrong or, or Dr. Hay, would go ahead and pick that uh, piece of paper up. Around my home, there was a piece of paper lying on the floor. So, well, I guess my wife will get to that sometime. But, uh, but I realized, no, I have to have the initiative and do what needs to be done, you know, without being told. So exercise initiative. Do what needs to be done without being told. You'll exemplify loving your neighbor as yourself by exercising initiative, and you'll be applying one of the keys of Christian leadership. So number two, exercise initiative. Number three, apply the seven laws of success. We have a, a reprint, reprint number 40, titled Achieving Godly Success. I'd like to take surveys. How so how many of you in the audience could name all seven of the seven laws of success? Let me see your hands. Oh, wow, that is pathetic. Well, <laughs> looks like about uh, 9% of you. So we'll talk about the, uh, well, at least I'll mention them. Uh, well, how many of you can name just what the fifth law of success is? Anyone know what the fifth law of success? Okay, that's... Uh, about 5% of you. I just, are you successful people or not? I just wonder. First law of success is set the right goal. And, of course, we set goals in life for careers, for education, for professionalism, and so forth. So we set goals, but we want to set the right goal, number one. Number two is to educate or prepare yourself. Number three is to maintain good health. You apply the laws of radiant health. And all our campers at the Living Youth Camp know what the fourth law of success is. The fourth law of success is? Drive! Thank you. So we all need to have that drive, the energy. You drive yourself. That's law number four. Number four. Number five is resourcefulness. Apply resourcefulness. Number six Persevere toward your goal, and, and Christ commends the Philadelphia church in Revelation 3 for persevering. Number seven, the most important, seek God's continual guidance. And we know there's false success. The world seeks possessions, power, position, and pleasure. Those are false goals, false goals for success and false standards for Success, they only bring pain, suffering, and death. What is true success? True success is living by every word of God, Matthew 4, 4, and Luke 4. True success is living by Galatians 2.20, Dr. Meredith's favorite scripture. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by Christ's faith. True success involves completing the mission that Christ has given the church. We'll talk about that even more a little later. And it only comes through the Savior of the world. True success is helping others into the kingdom of God. And that's what we are doing as a church and a mission. So we thank you as for all your help in supporting that mission. 
Key number three is to apply the seven laws of success. Number four is learn more about God's law of love. We are under the new covenant, and you read about that in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10 and, of course, Jeremiah 31, that God is writing his laws on our hearts and on our minds. Now, he doesn't just do that mystically. He does that because we're practicing the spiritual application of each of the Ten Commandments as well as the letter of the law. You learn more about God's law, and of course, reading from the scriptures, reading the book of the law, the first five books of the, of the Bible, uh, can be helpful to you. Dr. Meredith has emphasized the statutes that are in uh, Exodus 23 and several other uh, chapters in the book of the law. We have one of our teenagers uh, wrote out, uh, according to Deuteronomy 17, that the, a king was required to write out by hand a book of the law. And uh, one of our teenagers here did, I think, a whole book, didn't Was it the whole book or just Deuteronomy? So anyway, we're thankful for that. And we have some good examples here. You might turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Are you asking God to write his laws on your heart and on your mind? You'll be a, an effective Christian leader. There are many leaders in the world, but they're not Christian leaders because they reject God's law. And the new covenant is actually becoming a part of loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbors as ourselves as a part of the way we live, think, breathe, and conduct our lives. Psalm 119, you know, these wonderful verses here, starting with verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. You know, we are plagued and challenged with, from, by atheists and those who rebel against God's way of life and God's truth. They reject the Bible. They reject the existence of God. They don't know any, with it, any better. But then some of them are actual active enemies. Some are passive enemies. But David says, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And we have in our hymnal, O Love I Thy Law, that's uh, page 80 in our, our hymnal. And we love to sing that song, but we have to make sure that we're applying it. So number four is learn more about God's law of love. Number five is exercise wisdom and judgment. You need to pray for wisdom. Turn to James, the third chapter, James 3. We also need to pray for judgment, to judge righteous judgment. We had sermon number 762, Judges in Training. Here in James, the third chapter, we see the contrast between worldly wisdom and God's wisdom. James 3, we'll start with the... Verse 17, James 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, 
peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, or the King James, willing to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And it continues on to verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And, of course, he tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God in Matthew, the fifth chapter. So pray for wisdom and exercise that wisdom. And reading, of course, the book of Proverbs is one of the ways in which you are stimulating your mind and thinking about the principles and the precepts of wisdom. Uh, read the, some of us, uh, you know, at the office and uh, others, uh, read one chapter of uh, Proverbs every day. I, I know one man uh, we met at the feast, uh, I guess last year, two years ago in Gatlinburg, uh, said he had been reading one chapter of Proverbs every day. I think it was for 40 years. and <laughs> said he hadn't missed a day. Amazing. Well, of course, you need to do more than that, but uh, pray for wisdom. Number five, exercise wisdom and judgment. Number six, establish strong, biblically-based beliefs. An effective Christian leader has strong, biblically-based beliefs. I won't turn there, but you all know Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, that after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I hope all of us believe in the gospel and believe the gospel, know what the gospel is. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of peace. You'll find all of those expressions in the New Testament. We had a uh, sermon some time ago. It was two years ago. uh, Believe and obey the truth. And in that sermon, I I challenged uh, you, our congregation here, to write a short uh, essay on what I believe. Uh, One of our teenagers, uh, who was, I think, 13 years old at the time, uh, fulfilled that uh, challenge. And uh, this is what she wrote. It's uh, just uh, one page, big, big, long paragraph, but just very inspiring. What I Believe, on December 20th, uh, 2014. I believe that there is a God who wants what is best for us and loves us. I believe that if we submit to God's will and love him, then all things will work together for good, Romans 8:28. I believe that for God all things are possible and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4:13. I believe that Jesus Christ came down from heaven and was killed so we may be forgiven of our sins and healed of our sicknesses. I believe that God has a plan for us and that we must preach the gospel to the world, feed the flock, and warn the world. I believe we must choose between right and wrong and not straddle the fence. Finally, I believe that one day, we will all be part of God's family. Isn't that a beautiful essay by a 13-year-old on what I believe? Just beautiful. What do you believe? Do you have strong biblically-based beliefs? And, of course, if you want to know whether you have or not, 
You test yourself by going through and reading official statement of the fundamental beliefs of the living church of God. And we have some people who seem to be halfway into God's church, but they really are not, haven't proved, let's say, the basic doctrines of the Bible, which are, again, proven time and time again in God's Word. So there are, we have one of our, uh, actually pre-teen, one of our youth here today, uh, can re- I, I was thinking about maybe I should call him up on the stage because he can recite all 29 topics of the official statement of fundamental beliefs, age 12. I can't do that, but uh, he can. Uh, no, I won't call him up on the stage to do that. But, but how strong are your beliefs? Do you prove everything? And will you stand up for the truth when that's another Next uh, segment will go on, but number six, number five, uh, number six, establish strong biblically-based beliefs. Number seven, exercise courage and faith. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Four times. God told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Three times in the New Testament, we have the scripture quoted from Habakkuk. Romans 1.17, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, but no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And of course, uh, Mr. Wesson in a sermon last week, is it okay, is not the right question. was saying, what is the right question? The right question is, how do you please God? And he uh, quoted 1 John 3, verse 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We all want to please God. We had a sermon on that about four or five weeks ago. Are you pleasing God? But Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. So we need to be doing our part to please God, exercise faith, and exercise courage. Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, turn back there, very strong admonition and a responsibility for all of us. And we're doing that fairly well as a church, but we still need to make sure we're testing ourselves and making sure that we are fulfilling our responsibilities. Ezekiel 22 and uh, verse 30, you know all of the problems that uh, Ezekiel is addressing about the nation of Israel the house of Israel, and also the house of Judah. But he says in verse 30 of Ezekiel 22, So I thought sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Are we standing in the gap? 
Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord Eternal. Oh, yes, will we stand in the gap? We have sermon number 555, Stand for the Truth. Sermon number 615, Who Will Stand by Bob League. And sermon number 716, Standing in the Gap. That's what we are striving to do. We're calling nations to repentance. They won't repent, but we're preaching them and following the example of Christ and his instruction and fulfilling that mission. So who stood in the, stood for truth and who stood up for their belief? Well, you think of many in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were willing to stand up for the truth. And then the apostle Paul, even before the Sanhedrin in Acts the 23rd chapter, before and before government leaders on many other occasions. You think of Mr. Herbert Armstrong and, and Dr. Meredith, who lived by Re- Revelation 3 and verse 8. You have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. That's a responsibility each of us has. You have a little strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. So we need to be bold in the faith. For our young people, I would like to recommend a book. It's called uh, I Dare You. It's uh, by William Danforth. He was a chairman of the board of Ralston Perina Company in St. Louis. It's an old book, 1954, but it's available on uh, Amazon.com. And uh, a Kindle edition is, uh, for those who have, have Kindle, is only 99 cents. Uh, you get the books ranging, uh, a book hardbound, uh, ranging from 5 to $10. But, by the way, those of you who have signed up for Amazon Smile and designated the Living Church of God as a charity, Amazon Smile has sent to the Living Church of God so far as of August 2017, $2,842.26. So those of you who are buy products on Amazon.com and have signed up with Smile Amazon, you can designate the Living Church of God as a charity. And Amazon, whatever you purchase on Amazon, they will send a small percentage to the Living Church of God. In fact, uh, when I checked, I think uh, they said that uh, I had... um, by my purchases, they sent a dollar and ninety-eight cents to Living Church of God for for my purchases on Amazon.com. But and Amazon dot, uh, that is Smile Amazon. It actually Smile dot Amazon dot com it says uh, Living Church of God right on the website. Location Charlotte, North Carolina. Year founded 1998. Mission one: Preach the gospel of the kingdom of the world the kingdom to the world, and the name of Jesus Christ. Preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelites' people. Three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Be examples to the world of Christ's way of life. They had four of the seven listed there. Oh, it was, okay, I, I, I correct them out. It was uh, $1.86 I've generated by my purchases to the church. So William Danvorth, and I, and I dare you, says, I dare you to do things 
Now, we had a sermon by Mr. Rod McNair, sermon number 545, Do Hard Things. And he also had a Tomorrow's World magazine article, Can You Do Hard Things? That was uh, January, February 2010. William Danforth says, I dare you to be strong. I dare you to think creatively. I dare you to develop a magnetic personality. I dare you to build character. Now, of course, this is on the physical level. When we think about character on the spiritual level, we don't dare to build character. We know that is our mission in life. We ask God to create in us a clean heart. As it says in Psalm 51 and verse 10, we ask God to build his righteous, glorious, holy character in us. I won't turn there, but Philippians 2.21, referring to Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, but you know his proven character, referring to Timothy. Could anyone say that about you? But you know his proven character, that his son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So pray daily to, for God to create in you his perfect character and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And one other uh, dare that I dare you book by William Danforth, I dare you to share, is what he says. So number seven, exercise courage and faith. Number eight, for effective Christian leadership, face reality. This coming Thursday, we'll be observing the Feast of Trumpets, as we heard in the sermonette. And certainly the seven trumpets blast during the day of the Lord will force billions to face reality. And many thousands had to face reality with Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Harvey. And, of course, out in the Atlantic is Hurricane Jose. We pray that it doesn't disturb uh, Hilton Head of Feesight at all. But God is going to bring people, get their attention in many different ways. We choose to face reality when we understand and read the book of Revelation, when we read the prophecies that warn us of the Great Tribulation and warn us to watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So we face reality. Now, it's the proverbial, proverbial ostrich, of course, was to put his head in the sand. I did a little research on that. The, uh, it looks like when an ostrich lies down, that's what he's doing, but it will apparently put its head in a bush when uh, it's trying to hide from something, but it's the rest of the body is still out in the opening. We don't want to be like the proverbial ostrich that hides from reality. We face reality. Dr. Meredith actually wrote an article, Face Reality, in the September-October Tomorrow's World magazine, 2005. He wrote, And you, our readers, do not have to wait very long to see what we are talking about. The events we have been predicting for years in the pages of this magazine are already beginning to occur and will continue to occur with increasing impact and momentum. We at Tomorrow's World can be God's watchmen for you and your loved ones if you are willing to listen, to study, and to prove these things for yourself.
So that's uh, Dr. Meredith's article on face reality. We've had uh, several, well, one sermon, uh, Benefits of Godly Fear, uh, that was a few weeks ago, um, sermon number 992. And that one, so many of those wonderful promises of God and benefits and blessings of the fear of God, uh, I just mentioned one, Proverbs 14:26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. So we have been studying prophecy, and it got my attention, of course, when I first uh, became acquainted with uh, Mr. Armstrong and uh, World Tomorrow. I read the booklet on uh, 1975 and prophecy. Now, people say he was setting dates. Well, no, he wasn't setting a date per se. He was comparing the predictions of futurists who were saying by 1975, and he was writing this in the early 1960s or late 1950s, the futurists were saying that by 1975, everyone is going to have a helicopter in possession or something like that, just some utopian projections So what Mr. Armstrong did in that booklet, 1975 in Prophecy, was to contrast the predictions of futurists for utopian uh, world in our time versus the reality of what God says is going to happen during the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord. So we do need to face up to reality and make sure that we are facing reality. Uh, On the way here, my wife and I were listening on the, we have a, old uh, CD um, radio program, as I mentioned, by Mr. Armstrong, The World Tomorrow, and just saying, from Genesis to Revelation, God is supreme ruler. He says, uh, Psalms 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 97, 1, the, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. So we love God. We reverence God. And yet we have an awe of his creation and his glory. Number eight, face reality. How are we doing? Oh, we're getting along. Number nine, lead by example. We already read Matthew, well, I don't think we did. Matthew 5, 14, let's uh, read that. We're all familiar with Matthew 5, 14. But he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, they do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. No, you don't advertise to aggrandize your good works. You just do what you do normally and let God have people see your good works. You don't have to promote yourself to do that. You just do what God wants you to do. What kind of an example are you setting in your life, in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in your in the church, and in your community? Of course, we already mentioned the outreach project, so we're thankful for that. We need to set 
excellent examples at the fee sites around the world. And generally speaking, we receive compliments from the uh, hotel uh, managers and uh, other venues at the fee sites saying, your people are just honest and they are, they're serving, they're helpful, they're cheerful, they're happy. I hope that all of us can send that light, shine that light at the Feast of Tabernacles wherever we are this year. Are you a giving person? You know, what is your example? Is the parable of the Good Samaritan? Who is my neighbor? You know, the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus said to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Remember, it was the Samaritan who helped, and the others went by the wayside. And the lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So we need to think of our neighbors. We set an example of light and of service, and we fulfill that great mission. Number four of the sevenfold commission is be examples to the church at large and to the world of Christ's way of life. Number four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. So hopefully we're doing that in a humble way. We realize in several places in the book of Acts, uh, Acts uh, 9, verse 2 and verse 9, it talks about the Christian religion as this way. They made no small stir about the way in Acts 19:23, Acts 24:22, knowledge of that way. So we are living a way of life, and hopefully it's 24-7 that we're exemplifying that light, and we are also the salt of the earth as well. So we are to set an example to the world of God's way of life. We did have a teenager one time. Uh, this was brought to my attention back in the Midwest. She was on the high school track team and uh, attending the Living Church of God in, in that particular area of the Midwest. And uh, her coach uh, nominated an athlete of the week every week. And uh, it can be poor for performances on or off the track. And so I won't say the name of the teenager, uh, but uh, she said, I'll say Jane Jones, nominated by the coach. While leaving the restaurant, here's the report of the coach nominating our teenager as the athlete of the week. Why? Because she let her light shine. Not to do it purposely, Here's the coach's report. While leaving the restaurant of our track meet, she noticed, that is Jane, the teenager, noticed an elderly lady with a cart full of groceries. Many people wouldn't think much of it and just kept on walking and talking. However, Jane demonstrated a type of character that should make all of us proud. She approached the lady and asked her if she needed help. The lady declined. But as Jane left, I watched this lady look back at Jane with a look of pure appreciation. I'm not sure that Jane realized I was watching this happening or that this lady's facial expression said it all. This is what we all need to be doing to represent Blue Springs High School. I am proud of you, Jane. 
So spread sunshine by practicing acts of kindness. Summary, number nine. Thank you. Lead by example. Remember 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. The Apostle Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or the King James, Be you followers of me even as I also am of Christ. We become Christian leaders by being good followers as well. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Number nine, to be an effective Christian leader. Lead by example, number nine. Number ten, exercise vision and hope for tomorrow's world. You all know Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The King James says, where there is no vision, so we th- look into the future. We understand what the, vis- what the future holds because we read Bible prophecy. We believe what Christ says, and we understand Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation. But where there is no revelation or prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Is there any restraint in our nation? You know, it was um, a few years ago. It was like 40% of the nation approved of same-sex marriage. Then, was it two years ago now, it crossed the line, and now it's like 60% of the nation or more approves of same-sex marriage. They're casting off restraint. And when that crossed that line, you know, is, is there no turning back? Are we past the place of repentance for our nation? Where there is no vision, no revelation, no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. And, of course, during the Feast of Tabernacles, we will be having that vision of tomorrow's world, and we have more hope for the future. Let's turn to Romans 8, Romans 8, 24. When we look at the future, we have hope. That's the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. We look forward to the return of Christ. We're saying, Hosanna, as we heard in the sermonette. Save us. We look forward to Christ's return, the second coming, as John said in the last, next to the last verse of the Bible. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He had that urgency, and so must we. Here in Romans 8 and verse 24, we have a comment about hope. Romans 8. And uh, verse 24, for we are saved in this hope that we are the first fruits, as it says in verse 23, for we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. <clears throat> for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, <clears throat> we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Hope is an expectation. Faith is a conviction and an assurance. But hope is looking forward to it, an expectation. So we exercise vision and we exercise hope. Mr. Weston gave a sermon 
uh, January 28, 2017, the hope of the resurrection. We have an expectation and an anticipation of what is going to come and faith that it will occur, the assurance and conviction that will occur. <clears throat> Jonathan Swift, uh, back in 1711, uh, said, Vision is the art of seeing things invisible. We have actually a, a print on the wall in, uh, opposite the boardroom in the uh, headquarters building uh, showing lighthouse with that quote on it. Vision is the art of seeing things invisible, uh, Jonathan Swift. Well, that's helpful, but it's not uh, just an art. It is God's solid revelation of his great plan for all humanity. And it's not just an art. It's a fact and a reality. Uh, we thank God that he's revealed these things to his people and, of course, he gave literal visions to James and John, and Peter, James, and John up there in the mountain, and said, you're going to see the kingdom of God before you die. And what did they see? Moses and Elijah and Christ all glorified. Well, you know, that is a part of the hierarchy of the government and the leadership in the coming kingdom of God. Abraham, of course, had vision. For the new Jerusalem, God gave him that vision in Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. So the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day help us to expand our vision, to understand and to embrace the promises that God has given us. Key number 10 for effective Christian leadership is exercise vision and hope for tomorrow's world. Turn to Second Peter 3 and verse 18. Second Peter 3 and verse 18. We know that regardless of our age, whether we're 10 years old or 81 years old, uh, we still need to continue to grow. Second Peter 3 and verse 18. I mean, first, sorry, uh, what do we have? I've got first Peter, sorry, you got that, second Peter. Second Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. We want to give glory to our Savior. But we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Now, the new living version, we don't, Take that as any type of a real translation, but it does give a kind of an amplification of it, and it gives us a little perspective on that verse. The New Living Version states this, Grow in the loving favor that Christ gives you. Learn to know our Lord Jesus Christ better. He is the one who saves. May he have all the shining greatness now and forever. Let it be so. So how can we grow in leadership skills? Number 11, grow in leadership skills. How can we do that? We follow Christ's example. We follow Christ, Paul as he followed Christ. We live the way of give, Acts 20, verse 35. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive, or as the Moffat translation has it, it's happier to give than to get. So we want to grow in leadership skills. We just have the recent men's training program, included uh, several sessions on leadership. The Spokesman Club has trained leaders in God's church for decades. Uh, we also have a Living University classes on leadership, uh, Theology 226, Christian Leadership. This course deals with the principles of Christian leadership and service. Topics include foundations of leadership, leadership skills, challenges facing leaders, and case studies of great leaders of the Bible and secular history. Then there's another one, uh, Theology 236, Christian Camp Leadership. This course is designed to prepare students for a service as a Christian camp counselor or activity leader. And then, of course, we have uh, many resources in our websites, in our church library, uh, servant leadership, sermon number 476. These are on our website, you know. You go to lcg.org, and on the left-hand column, you see it's just sermons. You click on those sermons, and you can find any of these sermons that I mentioned. And also, uh, cogl.org, under sermons, you can find these sermons as well. Sermon number 476 by Dr. Meredith, Servant Leadership. 553, Five Qualities of Godly Leadership by Dr. Douglas Reneo. Number 584, How God Prepares Us to Be Leaders by Lambert Greer. Number 578, uh, Twelve Traits of Great Teachers by Gene Hilgenberg. So we have these resources available, and our youth are developing skills. We have uh, many of our youth are certified for first aid, CPR, some in life-saving. Some are developing marketable skills. In uh, fact, uh, the Apostle Paul had a marketable skill. Uh, What was that? It was a tent maker. It says in Acts 18.3, So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. There's a Jewish proverb. He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. So we're very thankful that our youth here in the Charlotte congregation as a whole are developing their skills, uh, getting certifications in various uh, activities, and as well, I hope, uh, developing marketable skills which eventually may even end up with a carpentry or plumbing or electrician or engineering, but also developing skills in music and journalism and many other areas. So God tells us to continue to grow spiritually, but grow in applying the seven laws of success in your lives as well. Number 11, grow in leadership skills. Number 12, to complete our 12 missions in life today and 12 keys to effective Christian leadership. Number 12, fulfill your mission in life. We've already mentioned the sevenfold mission for the church, but what is your mission in life? Well, your mission should be the same as the sevenfold mission of the church, but you may have a special personal way of a mission statement. We all have Matthew 6.33, that's 
That should be our personal mission for every one of us. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That should be a deeply committed mission statement for all of us. But we also know it says, uh, I've shared you before, I guess in one way you, you could say it's a mission statement for me personally. I want to be an overcomer and turn many to righteousness. And you have your personal statements as well. But I, I certainly subscribe to all seven of the sevenfold uh, mission statement from Dr. Meredith and uh, make sure that we're doing that. What other mission statements can you ascribe to? Well, of course, the whole Bible, but let's take a look at Romans, the 12th chapter. A very powerful commitment. Strong exhortation for all of us. I think most of you know that, Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you there, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or rational service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. So you want to be a dedicated servant. You want to be a light in this world. You want to fulfill Christ's mission to the church. You want to support the gospel going out to the world. I received, uh, my wife and I received uh, Mr. Weston's uh, co-worker letter in the mail yesterday. I hope uh, all of you have received it or will receive it soon and uh, that you'll read it and respond to it. Send the envelope and close the envelope back in uh, with something in it. Mr. Weston writes in the co-worker letter, The Living Church of God, sponsor of Tomorrow's World Television Program and Magazine, understands the need to warn this world and the consequences of rejecting God. We see a people stumbling to the slaughter and take our responsibilities seriously. Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. It, it is a privilege to be a part of this work with you, and I thank you for your consistent support. So again, brethren, uh, pray for the co-worker letter and personally respond to it as well. And you know, finally, Jesus said in John 4:34, "My food is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work." So we need to fulfill our mission. You need to fulfill your personal mission, doing God's work, doing His will. Summary number 12 is to fulfill your mission in life. Well, God has given us a high calling. We're all called to be kings, priests. And judges. We read earlier, Matthew 20, 26, that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. And whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. We are called to be servant leaders. And the greatest servant of all is God the Father and Jesus Christ. They serve us and will be serving billions of born-again members of the God family in the future after the white throne judgment, and after the millennium of the white throne judgment. We appreciate our youth serving in the congregation today. We look forward to their future as servant leaders in God's church as the next faithful generation.
And we, as we look forward to the feast, let's dedicate ourselves to serve the brethren and neighbors as Christian leaders. Let's follow the example of Christ and of God the Father who continually serve us and will serve billions of people into his royal family and on into eternity. Ask God to use you as a faithful, dedicated servant. Always have the attitude of a servant and live life as a Christian leader.